got to tell you this. Be careful not to use the Bible to support racial pride and prejudice. Be careful about that. Some of us were raised in, in homes where we were conditioned to think that you could not mix the races. The Bible doesn't teach that. If you want to be biblical, you, you've got to uncondition yourself and let the, the scriptures transform your thinking. And if you struggle with this, it's all right to struggle with it. Just be honest about it. Be honest and tell God of your struggles. Listen, all of us, the most open-minded of people, would have to admit because we're sinners, we struggle with prejudice. All of us. But it's one thing to struggle with prejudice. It's another thing not to struggle and just accept it. It's just absolutely wrong. It's sinful. And sometimes people hide behind the Bible when it's nothing more than pride, thinking that they're better in prejudice. Prejudice. How can a three-syllable, nine-letter word that is not difficult to pronounce cause such afflictions, distress, disorder, or injury? Yet down through the ages, the meaning of this word has created havoc worldwide. It has been the cause of wars and divisions of land, resulting in injury or death to individuals or groups of people. All because an individual or a group of individuals were isolated because of their perceived race, gender, religion, ethnicity, or disability. As I have had the privilege to travel around our great country and visit many historical sites, I can't help but feel humbled by being born in this country. But as I read the historical records of great men or watch reenactments of battles of days gone by, I can't help but think that many of these conflicts were the result of prejudice, one group towards another. Whether it was Hitler's Germany and the attempted annihilation of the Jewish race, or the treatment of our Native Americans, or the continued prejudice of one color towards another, I know that these actions are not directed or ordained by God Almighty. Welcome to Verse by Verse. This is Peter Silseth, and our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been teaching at Lakeside, preaching one verse at a time. These daily Bible classes are adapted from his pulpit ministry by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are continuing our study in the book of Genesis, chapter 9, on the prophecy of Noah. Here is our teacher, Pastor Steve. Now, keeping this in mind, keeping this in mind, we have to ask ourselves an important question. Based on this, what we've just learned, one race, one human race, three different people groups, Adam and Eve, all, all the, uh, the, the sons of Noah had all the genetic uh, uh, makeup of the various races that, that we call races. Keeping that in mind, the question is this, does the Bible forbid marriage between what we call races? Well, I want you to know, some Christians think so. Some Christians think so, and to support their view, they turn to uh, primarily, or at least one passage, Acts chapter 17. So I'd like you to do that. Keep your place in Genesis chapter 9, but let's go to the New Testament. Acts chapter 17. I heard a president of a well-known uh, fundamentalist school, college, uh, use this passage of Scripture in explaining to Ted Koppel about uh, why races should not mix, as if Ted Koppel really cared, I thought. But anyway, um, this is what, what he used. The context is this. Paul, in Acts 17, is alone in the city of Athens. He's arrived there before his colleagues, 
And uh, he's walking about and uh, he, he's in his, in his heart, he's smitten because of the idolatry of that city. Paul decides to speak out and he, uh, he evangelizes the Athenian philosophers. He is witnessing to them. He is telling them about a statue he saw that's labeled to the unknown God. And Paul seizes upon this concept. Now, they had so many gods they worshipped, they had one that they just said, he's unknown. We don't know who he is. Paul seizes upon that statue, that concept, that idol, to say the God who is unknown to you has made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ in creation and all this. And let me tell you about the unknown God, how he can be known. And in the process of doing this, he establishes the fact that this, this God who is unknown to you, who can be known, is the creator. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And so the question would logically be, well, where did all the people come from? Did he create them too? And that's where we are when we break in at verse 23. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And watch this, this is our key verse. This is the one that, the verse that people use to support not mixing the races in marriage. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times. And watch this. This is the expression, and the boundaries of their habitation. This is what people seize on. They say, God established one race should be over here and should not mix with a race over here. In fact, I want you to know I I experienced this firsthand. Before Michelle and I were married, Christian friends of the family told other family members that we should never get married because I was Jewish and she was Gentile. So I have gone through this. I don't know if they use this verse to support it, but I have firsthand experienced that. And as a young believer, it really bothered me. But let's go back to Acts 17. Is this statement in verse 26 that has been used to support not mixing the races, really valid. Is this what God means, that you cannot cross God's boundary lines? In other words, it is against, they say, it is against God's fixed boundaries to have whites marry blacks or orientals marrying whites. And they say you just can't mix the races. God has placed these people where he wants them so they shouldn't cross their God-appointed boundaries. Is this what Acts 17.26 is saying? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's not even close to saying this. This verse has absolutely nothing to do with uh, racial intermarriage. It is referring, look at verse 26 again. Let me read the beginning of it. He made from one every nation of man. He's talking about nations. The nations, he just says God has set the boundaries of nations. It's not about marriage. It's about nation. Do you realize if, if you take this to its logical conclusion, if that's what you conclude, that you can never cross over from from any nation, uh, do you realize that most people in America are from different nations? We never could marry one another? If, if you're from an English background and you married someone from a Scandinavian background, you're violating scripture according to that view. This is just saying God set the nations because they have different language groups. That's all it's saying. Absolutely nothing to do with racial intermarriage. And usually a nation has several ethnic groups. It usually has several ethnic groups. 
in its population. I mean, this is, this is really stretching Scripture to say anything about races inter, intermarrying and forbidding it. Nowhere, mark this, nowhere does the Bible prohibit racial intermarriage. As someone might say, but wait a minute, Israel in the Old Testament was forbidden to marry the Canaanites. That was a religious issue. That was a religious issue. It was not a racial issue. It would be today just like saying that we're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's the same principle. A Christian should not marry a non-Christian. That is the same thing as telling Old Testament Israel, don't marry a Canaanite. It had to do with religious practices. It had to do with corrupting the faith. Not, not uh, ethnic purity, if you want to use that expression. Also, Acts 17, verse 26 can't be talking about prohibiting racial mixture since it presents the truth that there's one race. Look at it again. I mean, if anything, this knocks that argument, doesn't support it. And he made from one, from one, he made from Adam and Eve, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. If it's saying anything, it's saying that every one of us came from one man, Adam, and then from Noah's three sons, which brings us back to Genesis 9, which teaches that there is only one race of man with three families within that race. i got to tell you this. Be careful not to use the Bible to support racial pride and prejudice. Be careful about that. Some of us were raised in, in homes where we were conditioned to think that you could not mix the races. The Bible doesn't teach that. If you want to be biblical, you, you've got to uncondition yourself and let the, the Scriptures transform your thinking. And if you struggle with this, it's all right to struggle with it. Just be honest about it. Be honest and tell God of your struggles. Listen, all of us, the most open-minded of people, would have to admit because we're sinners, we struggle with prejudice. All of us. But it's one thing to struggle with prejudice. It's another thing not to struggle and just accept it. It's just absolutely wrong. It's sinful. And sometimes people hide behind the Bible when it's nothing more than pride, thinking that they're better and prejudiced. And someone will say, well, I don't have a problem with what the Bible teaches on this. I don't have a problem, but where would the children socially fit in? Let me, let me tell you. Let me give you the answer to that. You know where the children would fit in? They ought to fit in the church. That's where they ought to fit in. But let me tell you something. The world in this day and age is far ahead of the church of Jesus Christ. The world doesn't have as big a problem with racial mixture as the church does. The, the world is a lot more tolerant. Now, they maybe are tolerant for the wrong reasons, but they're a lot more tolerant than God's people when it comes to this. Where would the children fit in? Well, listen, they really don't have a problem in this day and age fitting in the world. The biggest problem they would have is fitting in the church, and that ought to be the smallest problem they have. So I just felt that we needed to address this because a lot of people have some really funny views about this stuff. Really funny views. In fact, years ago, the great uh, Bible teacher, Dr. Donald Barnhouse, once said this about prejudice. Who knows, for instance, what a different course history might have taken if Mohandas Gandhi had not been thrown out of a church in South Africa. When he was there as a young lawyer, he walked in the church and some venerable white churchman said, get out of here, you black man. 
and Gandhi turned away from Christianity. He did not turn entirely, uh, he did not entirely turn from Jesus as such, although he had an unorthodox concept of him, but he turned from a caricature of Jesus Christ. Would Gandhi have gone on to become a strong Christian leader instead of a man who died in the name, uh, with the name of one of India's 300 million gods on his lips? We cannot know, of course, but we do know that you cannot find any doctrine of apartheid in the Word of God. This, watch this, this is a human, satanic dogma spawned from the ugliness of the unregenerate heart of man. I want you to hear that from that great Bible teacher, Donald Gray Barnhouse. So I think when we go back to Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 and 19, a very clear biblical deduction from this statement is that Noah had only three sons, and the new world was repopulated by them and their offspring, and we are the descendants. One race, three different people groups, the Bible never says that you can't mix. It doesn't say that. We will get back to our study in a moment. I want to welcome those of you who may have just tuned in. You are listening to Verse by Verse, a daily radio school of the air taught by pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Reading or studying the Bible is God's way of speaking to the human race. God didn't write portions of the scriptures and designate who could read them or to whom they applied. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? Well, we go on to verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Notice the term man of God. It has no distinctiveness, no isolation of who can benefit, and no discrimination, just the human race. Jesus says in his own words in Matthew 19, 19, Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is interesting that Jesus tells us to honor our parents and to love our neighbor. Notice that neighbor is not defined. It's not distinguished or differentiated. So with that in mind, and with the WWJD What Would Jesus Do bracelets that are worn by young and old alike, let's continue our class with Pastor Steve as he continues to unravel and give insight to this difficult passage. So, we looked at the first section, the sons of Noah. The second section of our passage centered around Noah is uh, the prophecy of Noah. The prophecy. Noah makes a prophetic statement. And while we won't look at the statement today, we will look at the incident that led up to the statement, which is one that has puzzled many people. Verses 20 and 21. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. These verses are just really sad. These are sad verses. You ought not to just read. You ought not to read this without your your heart feeling a, a, a sense of remorse, not personally, but sadness for what it's telling us. Because they tell us about an incident in the life of a uh, prior to this very godly man, Noah. It tells us of when a great man fell. He fell in his drunkenness. After the flood, Noah had become a farmer, this verse tells us, and he planted a vineyard and he made wine. And one day he drank too much of the wine, he became drunk. There are Bible teachers who, who try everything, and I appreciate what they're trying to do, but I don't think it's accurate. They try their best to excuse Noah. And the thinking goes something like this. Well, look, after the flood, uh, 
Climate conditions changed. Noah Noah didn't know about fermentation like before, and uh, it's really not his fault. Uh, Nice try, but it's not true. You know, when this took place, this didn't take place a week after the flood. This had to take place probably about 50 years after the flood. And why do I say that? Because Canaan is alive, and he's the fourth son of Ham. So you, you had to have a number of years pass. I know he's the fourth son because Genesis, I read ahead in Genesis 10. That's how I know. He's the fourth son. And so uh, it's got to be about at least 50 years. No, Noah knew better. We, we cannot excuse Noah. Noah sins. Now, the story is really not about Noah's drunkenness, though it mentions it. It's really not about it, but where... Uh, where his drunkenness led. It led to the prophecy. But having said that, though, I think there are some important truths to get a grip on and to apply to our own lives. First of all, it reminds us that anyone can sin. Any one of us can sin and fall into more, uh, the most decadent behavior. It is a shameful thing to think of Noah drunk. And after this, you know, lying naked in his tents, in a drunken stupor. That, that is a shameful thing. But I don't want us to read this and say, what a horrible thing that, that is that happened to Noah. Because you know what? It could happen to any one of us. Noah was a godly man. Noah, it says in Genesis 6, 9, he was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked with God. When it says blameless, he was the most godly man. No one could point a finger at Noah and say, boy, he's inconsistent. And, and the New Testament, 2 Peter 2.5, calls him a preacher of righteousness. For 120 years, Noah's preaching God's judgment and righteousness, but here he is, drunk. And you know what? If he fell, you and I can fall. And we need to be careful we don't have a self-righteous attitude that says that others can, but not me. You can too. Don't think you're above this. That's why Scripture says pride goes before a fall. When you think you stand, take heed, Paul said, lest you fall. It's the person who thinks he stands, who, who won't fall, who does fall. I'm reminded of Peter. Remember Jesus before the cross announces to the disciples, this night you're all going to forsake me. And Peter said, Lord, I know these guys, they'll do it, but not me. Not me, Lord. And Jesus said, Peter, what are you talking about? Not only will you forsake me, you're going to deny me three times. And that's why after the resurrection, Jesus said to Peter, he said at the Sea of Galilee, do you love me more than these? Who are the these? The disciples. Peter, you once boasted that you love me more than them, that you're better than these guys, that you would never fall. Peter, have you learned your lesson? Have you learned your lesson that you're no more spiritual than these men, that you're vulnerable just like all flesh? So I think there's an important principle here. Don't think it could never happen to you. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many years you've walked with the Lord. Don't think that it could never happen to you. If it happened to Noah, it could happen to you. This incident ought to make us aware that it only takes one fall like this to put a stain on an otherwise godly life. It only takes one thing. One thing to put a stain on an otherwise godly life. And that's tragic. Do you realize how old Noah was when this happened? He was past 600 years old. This is an old man. Now, he lived another 300 years, but he's an old man. 
And for all those 600 years, because it says, by the way, in Genesis 600 years, I didn't make this up, 600 years old when the flood came. So he's at least 600 years now. For all uh, 600 years, Noah lived a blameless life. But one sin ruined his testimony. Put a stain on it. One incident. And I think it says something to those, especially those who are older in the faith and older in years. You need to be careful so that you don't get sloppy in your old age. I love it when I hear about a great man or a woman of God who ended well. They finished the course well. They didn't get sloppy at the end of their lives and it bothers me, it bothers me that I read and hear about some pastors and Bible teachers who towards the end of their lives just got kind of goofy. You know, not necessarily in their moral lives, although sometimes that happens, but doctrinally they, they got flaky, they went off into something that's, that's just odd and bizarre, and it puts a, a, a whole stain on an otherwise great ministry. Listen, if you're an older person in the faith, be careful about getting sloppy spiritually. David sinned with Bathsheba when he was in his 50s. Moses, as an old man, sinned, was so angry, God kept him from entering the promised land. No matter how old you are, no matter how many years you've walked with Christ and known him, don't think you are immune to falling into sin. You need God's sustaining grace. You need to finish well. Paul spoke about finishing the course well. We spoke about that the other week. Finishing well. Paul said at the end of his life, I have finished my course. And you know what? He was above reproach. That's what you want to aim for. So don't think that, you know, it's only the young people who really need to be careful about falling. In Noah, we're reminded that any of us could fall, and especially as we get old, because maybe we don't think we need God's sustaining grace. We know it all. That's just pride. Just pride. Thank you for listening today. This is Peter Silseth, and you have been tuned in to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is taking us one verse at a time through a series of studies from the book of Genesis. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been serving in that capacity since 1981. Now his expository or verse-by-verse messages come to your radio through this fine station, and the work of Verse-by-Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the gifts and prayers of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. By the way, you can listen again to today's broadcast at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Or you might like to download it and listen later or share it with a friend. If you do share it, we only ask that you do not charge anything for that web address is versebyverseradio.org. Our class today was the second of a three-part message on the prophecy of Noah. If you order a CD or cassette from us, you can listen to the entire message at once without announcements. Just give us a call at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727 441 1714. 
I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff, and it's my hope that you're encouraged in your faith and strengthened spiritually through the teaching you receive on Verse by Verse. We believe that the Word of God has answers for problems. We know that life has stresses, life has pressures, and we're looking for answers. We believe that the place to look is the Word of God, and we are uh, grateful every time we hear that someone is listening to the radio, and uh, our program has been transformed by by Scripture, because uh, the Word of God is not only inspired, but Paul said it is profitable, and it will transform lives. So we're grateful that uh, we could come into your home, into your car, and and help you deal with life's pressures. If you've been blessed through Verse by Verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. Drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's P.O. Box 5884 Clearwater, Florida 33758. Thank you, and may our Lord richly bless and strengthen you as you listen to Him speak. I hope you plan to join us for the next verse by verse as Pastor Steve continues through this difficult passage of Genesis 9 through 11. I hope to see you then. 